big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we jump into the episode, we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Samuel and Camilla. Welcome to the team. And our continued thanks to everyone who supports the show, whether by becoming a patron or by listening and spreading the word. The show couldn't happen without you. And now enjoy this week's episode. Three, two, one. Two, one. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. As we always are. Molly has never read Pride and Prejudice. Becca has read all of the books. (laughs) Oof, we are loopy today, guys. We are video chatting. This is going to be really loopy. It's going to be a weird one. We are video chatting this. Molly is in Syracuse, and by that I mean Syracuse. Italy. No, Syracuse, New York. And I am in Brooklyn, but we are looking at each other over a video chat right now. And Molly is getting a really nice angle on my boobs. And by really nice, I mean that the camera is facing at a direction where it looks like I have like one really big boob instead of two boobs. It's called a uniboob, Becca. I don't know what the kids are calling it nowadays, but I have it right now. And Becca is getting a really nice view of the crack in my phone screen, making it look like I'm looking at her through a mist. She does look very mystical. I like that phrasing. So that is us at this very moment. We have some chapters of Pride and Prejudice to discuss. So today we are going to be talking about volume three, chapters two and three of Pride and Prejudice. If your book is not broken up into volumes, we are more than halfway done with the book. So we're somewhere in the latter half. Oh yeah, we are safely in the sort of lead up towards the end of the book at this point, I think. Yeah, I was really surprised. I was like flipping to where I last was to read these chapters and I was like, we're almost done. I know, it's so sad. I'm really glad that the tension has lasted this long because I've kind of been feeling like, oh my God, they have to fall in love any minute now. But like, it's still, they're still being so dumb about it. There is so much sexual tension and there's a lot of suspense for a romance book. But one thing I want to say is that even though we are headed towards the end of Pride and Prejudice, the book, we still have so much Pride and Prejudice media to get through. So much. The Colin Firth adaptation, the Keira Knightley adaptation, not the same movie, despite Molly's initial thought. It's definitely the same movie. No, it's not. <laughs> and there's also uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. We'll get there. We'll get there, listeners. I'm but sorry. You will see. Halt. Bridget Jones' Diary is based on Pride and Prejudice? That it is. <laughs> Molly is looking at me with her mouth wide open. I'm speechless. I fucking love that movie. Did you not realize that Colin Firth's character's name is Mr. Darcy? (laughs) (laughs) What? I'll say this. It's an extraordinarily loose adaptation. Sure. Like 10 Things I Hate About You. Way looser. Listeners, I have to tell you something. If you haven't noticed this about me already, if I'm not aware of something, like if I'm not reading the book, the reference will go straight over my head. 
For example, I just watched Friends for the first time last year or two years ago, and I know that's a controversial thing to enjoy, but I I love it, so whatever. You're allowed to like Friends. People should like what they like. Go on. Yeah, thank you. But my roommates in college, when we had like an apartment, it was like Friends Central up in there all the time. Like Friends was always playing on the TV in the living room. So I watched Friends before I made the conscious decision to watch Friends. I knew all of these characters and plot points and whatever straight over my head. I had no idea. Spoiler alert, Monica and Chandler, no idea. I knew Ross and Rachel was like, a thing but I didn't know like spoiler alert they had a baby together so many things and I was at this place for brunch one day by myself on a day off the summer I was watching friends and these people next to me were talking about friends for some reason at brunch like who does that and they were talking about how Rachel had Ross's baby from that one time and I was just devastated that I found out that spoiler anyway most things go over my head this is very useful as someone who's trying to keep spoilers away from Molly because if she accidentally hears a spoiler in the wild it is really easy to have it just go out of her head later yeah like the time that I posted a meme and I thought oh this is a fun meme and it was totally a spoiler meme it was a huge spoiler but that's okay anyway we have some chapters of Jane Austen to look at and I like to think that these chapters go hand in hand in a really nice way. We have first the polite chapter. It is very polite. And then the petty chapter. Very petty. So let's get into what happens. First where we left off is that they went to Pemberley, Lizzie and her aunt and uncle, and they ran into Darcy and Darcy told Lizzie that he wanted her to meet his sister. Yes. So that's where we're at with that. And Lizzie thinks that Darcy will probably bring Georgie the day after she arrives and she's supposed to be arriving the next day. But then he brings her the next day as soon as she arrives, which surprises Lizzie. It's like a super clutch move. They talk about this later. It's like the peak of politeness. It's so much respect. Like the first thing she does when she gets there is goes to see Lizzie. She's like hyped to see her brother's crush. (laughs) She's so hype. I mean, they're both super nervous, but we'll get to that. We'll get there. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll get get there. there. Lizzie's like pacing up and down the room like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because she sees them coming and she's like, oh, no. Uh." You just know that bitch is like pinching her cheeks, fluffing her hair. She's like getting all ready. And she's like, oh, my God, he's definitely overplayed me. Yeah. To her, he's definitely exaggerated how cool I am. And so she wants to live up to that. She's really nervous. She's not going to. I wonder why she's so nervous. She's self deprecating oh you mean because she's in love with him (laughs) sorry did i not have enough innuendo in my tone when i said that you need a little bit more innuendo next time (laughs) sorry let me try that again i wonder why she's nervous thank you becca as you know things tend to go over my head so i need you to be very clear you're welcome you're very welcome i'm here to help um so her aunt and uncle start thinking something might be going on here but they don't say anything because they're the best and then georgie arrives so now we get to learn about who georgie darcy is yeah there have been a lot of questions about georgie darcy there have been finally meeting her and i've kind of been like will we ever meet her like don't really care and then i thought maybe she was gonna be like super cool and like ha i'm the best and she's shy all the darcy's have no social skills they're super awkward together she's shy and she shows up and she's like unassuming and gentle and kind but like doesn't really say anything and she's tall and she's buxom two points here one i appreciate jane austen not stereotyping the buxom girl as the slutty girl because i've read so much quasi-feminist literature where 
even though we are following this strong female character, she's like scrappy tomboy and then the buxom lady is like vampy and whatever. Yeah. But Georgie is like so sweet, so not the type to like stereotypically be, you know, well figured. Just love her. Also, the other note I'll say is doesn't this make you want to protect her even more? Yes, because we get into this a little bit in the next chapter, but like there is so much pressure on her to be this perfect girl who. It, you know, she's trained in singing, piano, all of the things that a well-cultured girl should be. And she's just so nervous she's going to make a mistake. And everyone's always like, Georgie, do this. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Also, like, this sort of sweet, unassuming girl falling for, like, the charm of George Wickham. Oh, fuck that guy. Fuck Wickham. Fuck him. Am I right? No, nobody fuck him. He doesn't deserve it. Let's move on. <laughs> Jane Austen. So, Lizzie was worried that she may be quote as acute and unembarrassed an observer as ever Darcy had been but she's not Darcy sometimes doesn't have a filter and she was worried that Georgie would be judgy <gasps> judgy Georgie William Darcy has no social skills but in a very different way he just like says stuff extraordinarily bluntly and Georgiana is very careful about what comes out of her mouth speaking of Darcy having no social skills <laughs> oh my god it's just that I've been reading a lot of like sweet gay young adult novels about stupid boys not realizing when people are in love with them is this your red white and uh royal blue what is it red white and royal blue and they there are a lot of pride and prejudice references in that book but like oh my god he is so the dumb boy first of all in that second of all in the book i'm reading right now which is carry on by rainbow rowell he's just like he's such this stupid vampire who's in love with this girl Except he's in the book he's in love with a boy, but here he's in love with a girl. Oh my god, I'm dying. But he's a vampire who just says things. Darcy's a vampire. Darcy's always been a vampire. He's just a vampire who's in love. Oh my god, this is not Twilight. I'm sorry. It's okay. I really want to read Red, White, and Royal Blue. It's probably like top five on my list. Right now I'm trying to do Lord of the Rings, but I'm like 200 pages in and nothing's happened yet. I'm hoping that this is like where it starts to happen. But getting through the first 200 pages was like a feat. Yeah, I have the book and I want to read it, but I have so many gay young adult novels to read that it's just piling up. I'll take care of the Lord of the Rings. You take care of the gay young adult novels, then we'll swap deal. Sounds good. So back to Jane Austen. Back to Jane Austen. So basically Georgie's great. And then Darcy reveals that Bingley is coming. And no sooner had he said it, but we hear Bingley's little puppy dog feet coming up the steps and Bingley shoots in. Charles! Charles! And he's so excited to see them. And the gardeners are excited to meet him. And they also they notice during this whole thing watching everybody be joyful together that Darcy is very much in love with Lizzie yeah he's not great at hiding it anymore I mean he doesn't need to even Charlotte when he was like repressed and all that Charlotte was like see see in love with Lizzie and Mrs. Gardner is a bit more astute I take that back Mrs. Gardner is about as astute as Charlotte and Darcy is way more open about being in love with Lizzie now than he used to be in my opinion I think that's correct my notes say that they had the conviction that at least one of them knew what it was to be in love. And my notes were like, well, they obviously know that Darcy loves Lizzie, but Lizzie's a big, big dumb idiot. Oh, my God. This is a real question. Do you think they're saying that Lizzie doesn't realize she's in love with Darcy or Lizzie's not in love with Darcy? Lizzie doesn't realize she's in love with Darcy. Okay. I think. Mm, 
Oh, that is a real question. It's interesting, right? Because is Lizzie in love with Darcy at this point? That is something in the study questions. <laughs> Excellent. I can't wait to get to it because I have a lot of thoughts on it, actually. Okay, wonderful. Cool. So we'll move on for now. Lizzie has much to do, meaning, sorry, she has to overthink everything. <laughs> She can't focus on the conversation at hand. She is all of us around our crush. Oh, absolutely. She is like a million different thoughts coming into the brain at once. No capacity to say the cool or correct things. So just say nothing at all. Say nothing at all. She's just like, is everyone enjoying hanging out with me? Oh, my God. She was really nervous that no one would like her. Which is funny because she already knows that Bingley and Darcy both love her. She's really mostly nervous about Georgie. I liked this a lot. It said that... All three of them were already ready, eager, and determined to be pleased by her, specifically that Bingley was ready, Georgiana was eager, and Darcy was determined to be pleased by everything that she said. Just cute. She knows. So Bingley makes her think of Jane, and she wonders if he is also thinking of Jane. Obviously, he is thinking of Jane. Charles. Sweet baby boy. She thinks that maybe when he's looking at her, he's tracing a resemblance of Jane there their sisters that is so weird it's super weird one thing that does console her is that she doesn't see any love between bingley and georgie yeah that's good i mean i mean like other than friendly we know that bingley's not her type right she's more of a bad boy mary type. oh <laughs> i like your narrative for georgie thank you very much <laughs> so yes she is more of a bad boy type and at one point bingley says this is really cute Get ready, folks, that it's been a very, very long time since he had had the pleasure of seeing Jane. It is above eight months. We have not met since the 26th of November when we were all dancing together at Netherfield. He remembers the day. He misses her. He does. Also, this states us as well. We must be at like the beginning of June. Yeah. He then asks if all of her sisters are at Longbourn and I'm sensing a little visit. I don't know. I cannot confirm or deny that. I know, Becca. <laughs> she notices that Darcy has an expression of complacence, which means affability, and that in general, he seems very much as improved in manner as he had yesterday. So it wasn't just a passing thing. Again, is this intentional or are these new eyes? All right. So my thought is that it's intentional. And I think, well, here, I'll read my next point and then I'll say that it's intentional because... He's being kind even to Mr. and Mrs. Gardner, who are people who he used to like, he would have been ashamed to be seen with them. And we saw that yesterday, too, when Lizzie was impressed about that. But she thinks to herself, she's never seen him this free from self-consequence, even though, quote, no importance could result from the success of his endeavors. I think that importance could result from the success of his endeavors. And the importance is that he's trying to be the kind of person that Lizzie wants to date. Indeed. I think that he's being nice and I think he might have new eyes perhaps and be like oh like these people don't suck. Also yeah I think that the other piece of this is that if you circle back to the Shire it wasn't as though it was just Lizzie who disliked Darcy. Everyone thought he was stuck up. Everyone yeah. So he was actually being rude to a lot of people and some of it is lack of knowledge of social interaction but some of it is also a haughtiness that he just doesn't exhibit here. Yeah, I want to bring it back to Red, White, and Royal Blue, which the more I read this book, the more I'm realizing that that book's supposed to be kind of an allegory for this book because they, one, make a bunch of references to how it's the prince's favorite book. Two, the characters line up really well. Three, the prince, even though he's... Is he the Darcy character? 
Yeah. Prince Henry is like brooding for like half the book and everyone thinks that he's a dick and everyone meaning the main character Alex thinks that he's a dick and then he finds out that he's like you know I'm no spoilers I just gave you a bunch of spoilers but like you'll forget you're actually totally lucky that I tuned you out right there it doesn't surprise me that you're reading a romance novel based on this because this is indeed one of the most influential romance novels of all time i'm starting to see that the other thing i wanted to bring up is it looks like at this point in time lizzie has been made aware of her prejudice Prejudice. and is trying to change and darcy is being made aware of his pride and trying to change and i don't know if you know this but the title of the book is what is it pride and prejudice oh yeah oh boy then Darcy and Georgie are going to leave and they invite them to come to dinner at Pemberley and Lizzie's kind of embarrassed and she like doesn't say anything but her aunt is like sure will come. The description of this moment is so fun where she's basically like she looks at her niece who is not saying anything and she's like does she not want to go or is she just too like awkward to say anything right now and she sort of decides she's just too awkward to say anything and then she looks at her husband and she's like he loves hanging out with people. He loves broing out. And then she's like, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, it was cute. Love Mrs. Gardner. It also said that Georgie was nervous, too, because Georgie doesn't usually invite people over. So she was like, oh, uh, yeah. So now we can confirm Georgie Darcy is a little angel. She's so sweet. I love her. We protect. We protect. We attack. We understand now that Wickham ain't no snack. Yes, there it is. So Lizzie thinks back on the last half hour pleasantly, even though while it was passing, the enjoyment of it had been little because she was so nervous. She only sticks around for a moment to hear her aunt and uncle praise how great Bingley is. But she's like, I don't want to hear them talk about Darcy. So she runs away. And they weren't going to talk about Darcy anyway, because it's clear to them that he's in love with her. And they don't really feel the need to bring it up with her or they don't want to bring it up with her because they don't want to embarrass her. Probably the latter. Shouts to the gardeners for legitimate tact. We fucking love them. Best characters in this book. They are like the only functional people in this entire book. They really book. are. Them and Charlotte. But Charlotte's also kind of a disaster. She made a choice. She did. She made choices. But the gardeners are just like in a happy marriage, chilling. And they're hot in my mind. Go the gardeners. Oh, So Mr. Gardner totally has like a goatee, but like the hot kind. There's no such thing as a hot goatee. Okay, so he has like a mustache and beard combo that's like just around this part of his face. You're going to have to be really specific. You're going to have to give me a celebrity to pinpoint on. Let me Google some stuff. Hang on. Listeners, let me know if you think there's any such thing as a hot goatee. Personally, facial hair can be lovely in my opinion, but refrain from mustaches, soul patches, and gross goatees. I know who I'm picturing, and it's going to take me a while to get there, as we all know. Oh, you know what? You know who I'll give you? Hmm. Orlando Bloom can pull off a goatee in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, but Orlando Bloom does not play Mr. Gardner because Orlando Bloom is playing... I feel like we've talked about this before now. I don't remember. I don't remember Orlando Bloom playing anyone. We haven't talked about Mr. Gardner yet. He's just really into fishing and chilling out. He is. We love. He's kind of a lumberjack, isn't he? Kind of. He's got that vibe, I guess. He likes like the outdoors. Yeah. So, okay. Now we get Mr. and Mrs. Gardner's opinion of Darcy. And they think well of him. And they realize that had they taken their description of him that they've just gotten from 
getting to know him for two days and his servant talking about him. And they brought that account of him back to their circle at Hertfordshire. People would not have known who they were talking about. And they decide that they much more believe the descriptions of his servant and what they've decided about him than they did the tales of him that they heard from before and how everyone hated him. And they decide they're going to make their own opinions. It says, quote, they had nothing to accuse him of but pride. Pride he probably had, and if not, it would certainly be imputed, meaning estimated or assigned by inference, by the inhabitants of a small market town where the family did not visit. Does that mean, like, run through, like, the rumor mill would certainly tell them if he had pride or not? Basically, they're saying that, like, of course he would come off as proud to this tiny little town where gossip is rampant. But in the town, they learn how Wickham is regarded. Which is poorly. Which is poorly. He's been looked down upon because even though they don't know everything about him and Darcy, they do know that he left with many debts and that Darcy discharged his debts. Cute. I wouldn't go with cute. I would say... Kind. Good on Darcy... But fuck Wickham again. Yeah, well, we hate Wickham. The inference here is that he is like partying with opium and alcohol and hookers. The whole shebang. That night, Lizzie can't sleep because she can't stop thinking about Darcy. And she's trying to figure out how she feels about him. What a monologue. (laughs) It's such a fucking mood. She knows, one, she doesn't hate him. Two, she might even respect him, though she was not willing to admit this at first. But most of all, above those like feelings of respect and like non-hatred she feels gratitude for him gratitude not merely for having once loved her but for loving her still well enough to forgive all the petulance and acrimony meaning bitterness or ill feeling of her manner in rejecting him and all the unjust accusations accompanying her rejection really quick stop here yes i accused fitzwilliam darcy of reacting poorly to the proposal in the moment which he did the rejection of the proposal i mean well the proposal wasn't so hot itself proposal get in not really a great move on his part and i don't blame lizzie for anything that she said in her rejection oh not at all but i want to commend him for in the long run doing a little better yes he did write a letter that write it all of what i mean he didn't write everything that he said but he explained himself he explained himself and now he's being nice <laughs> i know it's awesome again doesn't make up for the fact that he sucked at first but like growth you know what this is growth <laughs> What's that from? I don't know, but it is one of the best memes. It's truly very good. So how does Lizzie describe her own feelings? Her own feelings. Such a change in a man of so much pride excited not only astonishment, but gratitude. For to love, ardent love, it must be attributed. And as such... Its impression on her was of a sort to be encouraged, as by no means unpleasing, though it could not be exactly defined. I think that's brilliant. I think that's a brilliant way of describing the beginnings of falling in love. Yeah, this is a timeless novel for a lot of reasons. We're going to get more into this in the study questions, but that feeling you have when someone does something for you and your emotions just flicker for a second in a way that they didn't before and you're like, oh, now at this point in my life, when that emotion flickers, my first instinct is to be like, no, but I know what it is. (laughs) I'm not dumb to it anymore. But, you know, Lizzie has never been in love before. Can I ask? You're going to tell me yes. Is this the original Enemies to Lovers book? Yes. <laughs> Literally all the books I'm reading right now are Enemies to Lovers. And I'm just like, my little heart is like, wait, you're being dumb. And that's what I'm doing to Lizzie. And now she's starting to catch on. And it's like the moment where your hatred starts to feel a little bit like 
something else. Well, there's that famous saying, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. And Lizzie has never been indifferent to Darcy. We've seen that through this entire series so far. Yeah. And now she doesn't hate him. And what's replaced the hate is not indifference. It's something else. Yeah. There's still strong emotions. And the fact that there were strong emotions to begin with should have told her something. Yeah. It's like when something goes really wrong with someone, you're in a fight. And it's like, it hurts because you care. Yeah, it matters because you care. You're fighting this person because it matters. Strong feelings for anybody mean that they are in your brain for some reason or another. This is why the enemies to lovers trope is a real one in real life too. Now, I'm going to put a caveat here. I'm going to say, let's make that a bickering people to lovers sort of transition because if someone is being a bully to you, please don't date them. No, definitely Just Generally, not. we like a bicker to lover story yes bicker to lover so she's also interested in his welfare and she's not sure if she wishes that welfare to depend upon herself or if she should even employ her powers to bring on the renewal of his addresses oh honey i will say this when she talks about being quote concerned for his welfare one of the first ways i realize i like someone is if i'm like thinking about like are they okay how are they reacting to the situation what's going on with them once you start that place in your brain for that person, good or bad, it just sticks. Totally. So she and Mrs. Gardner decide that since Georgie visited them right away, they have to reply with the utmost politeness and return her visit the next morning. Lizzie is excited about this, but she can't figure out why. And Mr. Gardner is also going fishing with Darcy the next morning. So basically, they're going to be set to see them three days in a row. Sounds like this vacation is just turning into a little Darcy sesh. Darcy, Darcy. Darcy. So that's the end of chapter two. Moving on to chapter three of volume three of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Caroline Bingley, who remembers her? Not me. Did you forget she existed? Because the bitch is back. Bitch is back. I did forget she existed. And yet... Lizzie realizes too late that Caroline was jealous and that's why she was so rude to her all the time. To quote myself from an earlier episode, girl. <laughs> yeah. She thinks Caroline will probably not be so happy to see her at Pemberley. Mrs. Gardner and Lizzie are met in the saloon by Caroline, Louisa, and Georgie, plus Georgie's person, her lady-in-waiting, her caretaker, Mrs. Ansley. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, I think so. Cool. So Georgie's still being very shy and quiet. And had they been the type of people who felt themselves inferior, they would have thought she was proud and reserved. But as it is, they like her very much and therefore they pity her. And this is where we kind of get into Georgie having a lot of pressure on her to be perfect. She's not saying anything because she's afraid of saying the wrong thing. Listen, it is hard being a person in the Jane Austen era. We've talked a little bit about how much etiquette there is. And by a little bit, it's been so much half the podcast. <laughs> but this is the first time you see a character really bound by it who is very conscious of it and deeply struggles with it. Totally. And on the flip side of that, Caroline and Louisa, not bound by it. They are like, hey, how's it going? And then they're just awkwardly sitting there. So Mrs. Ansley kind of pushes the conversation forward they're bound by it but they're doing their whole mean girl thing yeah where they're not talking because they don't want to talk to lizzie and lizzie's like bitch i don't want to talk to you either bitch i bet you thought you saw the last of me is that how that goes you ain't seen the last of me bitch no there's the one and she like turns around and she's like bitch i bet you thought you'd seen the last of me i don't know becca and i clearly know memes but don't know anything about them yeah yeah this is this is a jane austen podcast molly and i only know the memes not the context oops sorry y'all you can let us know 
what we're butchering. So <laughs> Lizzie notices Caroline watching her very closely during this whole thing. And so she's kind of hesitant to say anything, especially she doesn't want to talk to baby Darcy. Basically, at this point in time, baby Darcy, baby D is sitting in the room, so awkward and anxious. And Lizzie's like, I could talk to her, but we're awkwardly far away from each other. And she's like, it's probably for the best because I am really in my own head about the people who are out fishing right now. This part made me scream. Quote, she expected every moment that some of the gentlemen would enter the room. She wished, she feared that the master of the house might be among them. And whether she wished or feared it most, she could scarcely determine. Lizzie has gotten so thirsty so quickly. Fucking huge mood. Oh my God. It's so real though. Like, you know, the heart drop to the pit of the stomach moment when you're like, oh my God, they're here. Again, I both just like seized up. Yeah. Being around crushes is terrifying, even for people who are bold, like Lizzie. And so Lizzie's like, I want to see him, but I also don't. It's really cute. Caroline asks coldly after the health of her family. And she answers just as coldly. Oh my God, how's their family right now? Are they okay? They were struggling before, so like, I just want to make sure they're okay. Not that it was my fault or anything. I just feel like, you know... They could use a little help. Here's the thing. Since we left Caroline Bingley, we've discovered that she was not the architect of all of the trouble. No, but she's still a bitch. Yeah, she still sucks, but now she just sucks. She didn't even fucking have the balls to do anything about it. She just goes along with what everyone else is doing. She's just a bitch. She's not an effective bitch. Right. Oh my God. She's like the scum of the earth. Ugh, God. We hate her. We hate her. Then... After many significant looks from Mrs. Ansley to Georgie, which furthers my thought that Georgie is under a lot of pressure to be good, they send out some cold meats and cakes and fruits. And though they couldn't all talk, they could all eat. So they all just sit there eating and saying nothing. That's honestly how I hang out with my friends, though. Yeah, that's true. It's a very good way to bond with people. And like, that sounds like a good spread. I don't eat meat, but I could eat some cold cakes and fruit. Some grapes. Mm. Some jam and crackers. Ooh, we love it. Molly's a vegan, but some buttered toast. Oof. Some vegan buttered toast. I'm sure they had margarine in the Jane Austen era. We could use some, um, what's it called? The Australian stuff. Ew. The Vegemite? Vegemite. I'm sorry, Australia. I don't want to insult you. I'm sorry. They're not in Australia. Marmite. That's the British version. Marmite. I don't want to insult Marmite or Vegemite, but I will because that shit's nasty. I've never had it. You know what? Can I tell you a funny story? This episode's already running longer than I feel like when I know that we're only doing one or two chapters, I just talk more, but a funny story. I studied abroad in Russia. For our listeners who don't know that, Becca knows because I don't talk about anything else. There was this stuff called uh, Ikra. And I didn't know what it was, but it's like orange. It came in a like pasta sauce jar. And I would just like buy that and put it on bread or like eat it with a spoon. And what was it? Well, I looked up what the word meant and it meant caviar. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I know what caviar looks like. And there's pictures of vegetables on the front of this. So like, obviously, it's just a blend of vegetables. So I continued to eat it. It had fish eggs in it. It was blended fish eggs with vegetables, like roasted eggplant. That sounds delicious. It was fucking the... It tastes so good. And honestly, like, I stopped eating it then because I was vegan by this point. But I was like, holy shit. 
this is fucking amazing and i don't know and it tastes like my childhood i don't know why it's just like the best stuff ever so if you do eat fish eggs eat that i mean i'm a pescatarian and i'm gonna look this up because i want this now so back to pride and prejudice i'm sorry that was a big i don't even we were talking about charcuterie again weren't we we were talking about marmite uh it's like really yeasty yum it's like really like intense flavor i I can't explain it i don't enjoy marmite or vegemite sorry back to jane austen (laughs) Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films, or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So finally, Mr. Darcy arrives and Lizzie gets butterflies when he shows up, which clarify that she wished him more than feared him to arrive. But then she immediately regrets it. It's kind of like that that moment you see the person come through the door and you're like, oh, no, that's the moment you check your hair. Yeah. I don't know if this is just me, but whenever my crush walks in, like first thing I do, I have short hair listeners and I will just like push it back immediately. I'm like, okay, hair check. Is everything in place? That's my tell. Yeah. And she resolves Lizzie to be easy and unembarrassed, basically checking her hair and then being like, I'm not going to do that again. And she notices that it's easier said than done. She's like, hey, 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 stop. And the suspicions of everyone involved are awakened against them. Everyone's staring, especially Caroline. Jealousy had not yet made Caroline desperate. So she tries to talk to Darcy as much as she always has but then she notices that darcy's really trying to push this friendship between lizzie and georgie and that makes her mad so what does she know will touch a nerve with lizzie she brings up the militia and wickham by connection 
Ooh, bad move there. I feel like I'm narrating a sports podcast right now. I'm like, ooh, bad play. I mean, that is a fumble if I've ever seen one. Like Caroline Bingley, this is what I mean. She's a bitch, but she's an ineffective bitch. Girl, you're really bad at seduction. She's bitching on the wrong person, but she she doesn't know that it's going to hurt Georgie. It's possible, though. Like, I'm just thinking about this now. It's possible that of every single person in this book, Caroline Bingley is the worst at courtship. That's a hot take. I'm including Mr. Collins in this count. Collins got married. Collins got a lady in the end. So... Caroline is fucking flailing here. Yeah. So she disses Lizzie by saying that the militia leaving must have been a great loss to your family. One, reminding everyone that she used to have a crush on Wickham and she thinks she still does. Two, bringing up the fact that Lydia and Kitty and her mom were all fawning over the militia constantly and making fools of themselves so that's a low blow but she really hurt georgie here and georgie is like staring at the floor and lizzie notices this and thinks to herself that like she's the only living person that darcy has told this information to about wickham and georgie protect georgie darcy at all costs dear god protect her fuck caroline bingley truly and the fact that lizzie doesn't really seem interested in engaging about wickham makes Caroline's plan backfire on her because, quote, the very circumstance which had been designed to turn his thoughts from Elizabeth seemed to have fixed them on her more and more cheerfully because Darcy notices that she doesn't want to talk about Wickham and he's like, yes. He's like, my plan worked. Yeah. You just have to write it down, Darcy. Write it down before you say it out loud and then you come off great. He's really good at words when he writes them down. He is. He is. And he did a good job convincing Lizzie that he's a good person. I love him. I just wistfully stared out the window. (laughs) I love this. I encourage all of our listeners at this point to go back to our first episode and hear how Molly felt about Mr. Darcy. I really hated him. You did. You really did. Here's the thing. I still stand by that. He was a dick. He was a dick. So then it's time to leave and Darcy accompanies them to their carriage. And while they're gone, Caroline starts trying to shit talk Lizzie with Georgie. But Georgie's like, no, my brother likes her. I like her. We love Georgie. So here's the thing. So she could not have known that Wickham was a sore spot in this scenario. So like you could give her a pass on her failures of seduction for that. But in what universe is shit talking Lizzie going to work on Darcy? She's trying to do that thing. It's like when she asked Lizzie to walk next to her so he could compare their butts. Yep. She's just like not good at this because Caroline, he sees you. He knows you. If he wanted you, he could have you. He does prefer Lizzie, even though he sees you too. Sorry, girl. Yeah, girl. Oh, it's so sad. It's not really sad because she sucks, but... Remember that time when you were like, I love Caroline Bingley, and I was like, no. Yeah, remember when I thought she was trying to wingman Darcy? I do remember that. It's one of your less correct opinions that you've had. You've predicted some things through this novel that have come to fruition. That one you did not see coming. So then Darcy comes back and Caroline tries to shit talk Lizzie to him saying that she got too tan. And then she says, Louisa and I were agreeing that we should not like to have known her again. And honestly, I forgot about Louisa yet again. Didn't remember that she was there. She's kind of the equivalent of Kitty in that it's kind of Caroline and Louisa 
and Kitty, except she's not as cool as Kitty. That's a really good comparison. And Kitty, yeah, Kitty has her own cool features. Louisa just sucks. Louisa really sucks. And then Darcy is like, I see no problems with Lizzie other than getting tanned. And that's kind of to be expected since she's been traveling all summer. And then Caroline goes in, like picking apart every feature of Lizzie. This was vicious. She said her teeth are nothing special. Her nose is too... Wait, wait, pull it up. I'll just read it. One sec. You haven't done that yet this chapter. I know. Ugh, I miss being able to see your book notes. Ah, here they are. You can see them in the picture. I have OMG. I forgot at the top. What did you forget on top? Caroline's existence? No, I forgot that Bingley and Georgiana Darcy were a thing. Oh, yeah. In fact, in all caps in my Google Doc, it says... He really want. Oh, did I skip this? You might have skipped this. I skipped this, I think. When we were talking about Lizzie having been the only person that Darcy told about Georgie and Wickham, he was especially concerned with keeping it away from Bingley's relations, meaning Caroline, because he really wanted them to become Georgie's own relations at some point, which I forgot about, even though we talked about it in the last chapter. I forgot about the whole Bingley-Georgie thing, and like, Though it was mentioned, I didn't realize what that really meant until this moment. I don't think that if Darcy wants Lizzie, he's going to be able to pull that off because he needs to let Bingley go be with Jane. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm not going to confirm or deny anything, but I think Lizzie knows that there's not much between Bingley and Georgie personally. Sure. Yeah. And I think Darcy probably knows that too. Yeah. But moving back to the point where we were, Caroline going in on Lizzie. For my own part... For my own part, she rejoined. For my own part. I must confess that I never could see any beauty in her. Her face is too thin. Her complexion has no brilliancy. And her features are not at all handsome. Her nose wants character. There is nothing marked in its lines. Her teeth are intolerable, but not out of the common way. And as for her eyes, which have sometimes been called so fine, if you'll remember when Darcy first was talking about her eyes, and she was like, whose eyes? I never could perceive anything extraordinary in them. They have a sharp, shrewish look, which I do not like at all. And in her air altogether, there is a self-sufficiency without fashion, which is intolerable. Yeah. Ladies, let's not do that to each other. Gross. We're all beautiful. Yes. Ugh. So are boys. Everyone is beautiful. We're all miracles of nature. This is taking a turn. But my point is that sometimes society pushes women to shit on other women for men. Do not be the Caroline Bingley. Do not. Do not. Anyway, go on. So then, this is funny, persuaded as Miss Bingley was that Darcy admired Elizabeth, this was not the best method of recommending herself. But angry people are not always wise. And I was like, yes, narrator. Jane knows what's up. She really does. This is what I'm saying. Caroline is the worst at seducing of anybody in this book. Truly. Then she brings up that initially Darcy had felt the same way and she calls up a quote of his which we didn't know until this moment which was she a beauty I should as soon call her mother a wit gross rude and then Darcy says yes I did say that but that was before I actually knew her and now I see her as one of the handsomest women I know this is incredibly sweet but also that it makes me think like is Lizzie not hot no Lizzie's hot all right so rude before so here's the perception I get Darcy the proud grump gets taken to Netherfield. I'm sorry. <laughs> you call Becca called him a rump. Grump. <laughs> oh my God, I heard rump. You know, I said grump. The 
this is the problem with video chatting in quarantine is that you don't hear all of the consonants. I don't see this as a problem. I heard the proud rum. <laughs> I've had half a glass of wine. Half a glass of wine. She said rump. I said grump. <laughs> I'm going to call him the rump from now on. Continue. Oh, God. <laughs> So the proud rump Darcy is at Netherfield and he's pissed off to be there and Bingley drags him to a party. There's no beer. He's just forced to dance with a lot of people. So he's going to be grumpy about everyone. And the way I see it is that Elizabeth Bennett is not like Jane hot. She's not like model gorgeous, but she is hot. Not handsome enough to tempt him. Apparently not. But I think he's just grumpy about the whole town. And if he finds out that Lizzie's quote, a town beauty, he's like, fuck her. So like, I think that's where he's coming from saying that. And then you talk to Elizabeth Bennett and you're like, oh. And then you fall in love with her. Exactly. Like you have never seen Elizabeth Bennett and you have a crush on her, right? Oh, big time. Yes, exactly. The Molly Burdick story, having a crush on both Lizzie and Darcy. Then he leaves and, quote, Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. And that's the Caroline Bingley story. She played herself. She did. Again. The worst at seduction. She's so bad. Then Mrs. Gardner and Lizzie leave and they they talk of everything but Darcy, which is the thing they both most want to talk about. They talk of his sister, his friends, his house, his fruit, but not the man himself. And let me tell you, I'm going to write a play called His Sister, His Friends, His House, His Fruit, and it's going to be about something. That's a good name. (laughs) Thank you very much. And that is the end of those two chapters, which brings us to... Becca's study questions. Okay, we have a couple here. So we finally met Baby D. At long last. What are your impressions of her? We've touched on some of this. And what have you learned about her that you had not previously learned? Like walking into this episode, I asked you to make a lot of predictions about Baby D. And I feel like they've changed over time. But now you actually have a picture of her. Yeah, she's hot. Yes. I'm sorry. That's my first reaction. Everyone in this book is hot. Yeah. Everyone in this book is hot except Collins. Yeah. My impression of her had been wrong completely because everyone had talked about her as this like perfect person. So I kind of had given her a lot of confidence and a lot of self-assurance in my head as being like overall perfect and she knows it. But I think the thing is like she is a really good person. She is kind and sweet and good. But the way everyone talks about her is like societally she is trying really hard to be this perfect person that everyone loves but like she's not necessarily that person on the inside does that make sense yeah that totally makes sense i think it also gives you a little insight into why she might you know want to go elope with wickham explain i think she feels a lot of pressure in her life You've said that. And I think she's pretty shy and unassuming and she's very protected and sheltered. And this really charming, handsome guy makes her feel special and like everything's okay. And that takes the pressure off a little. That's what makes the heartbreak so bad. Yeah. Plus, like maybe that would be like the one thing that she's done for herself. That's like kind of exciting. Yeah. It's a little bit of a break from all the patterns of stuff she has to do. Yeah. Oh, fuck that guy. Fuck Wickham. We hate him. We hate him. So the next question is, we see Charles and Co. again for the first time in months. How have they shifted in the narrative? So I talked a lot about how the book has shifted since the letter and Lizzie's interactions with the letter. And now you see characters who you haven't seen since before Lizzie read the letter. How have things shifted with them? First of all, I had forgotten that they existed. (laughs) 
But in the grand scheme of things, we have gotten a little bit more context for these people through the letter. Firstly, Bingley. When I heard that he was coming, my first response was no. But then I remembered the letter and I was like, wait, we don't hate him anymore. Um, So that's good. (laughs) Caroline and we're going to talk about Louisa as she is a part of Caroline. Nothing as exciting is going to happen with her ever. I don't think so. Caroline and Louisa, as we were talking about before, we've shifted the blame away from them, but they still suck and I'm bored of them and I don't see the point, but they're there and I'm like, oh, now we can kind of look down upon them because they're useless. So there's that. I love that. I love that. These are the petty chapters. Truly. And then in terms of Bingley, because I don't think what I said before was coherent. At first, I thought that I hated him when I was like, oh, no, he's coming. And then his little puppy dog steps came up. And then I was like, oh, we don't hate him anymore. So it was kind of good to see him again and see the gang all back together. Oh, yeah. Bingley's a hard character to hate. He's adorable. I fucking love him. He's like in red, white, and royal blue. He's Pez for when you read it. Girl, this is not a podcast about red, white, and royal blue. I will read the book. I know, but now it's an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. So, okay, continuing. The next question I have is related, but tangential. So it's about the uh, new Darcy TM. TM, TM. A reformed, proud rump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so a t-shirt that says new Darcy TM on the front. And then on the back, it just says rump. (laughs) reformed proud rump reformed proud rump he's still being all new and polite i wanted to talk about how darcy being different than he was at netherfield changes the interactions with this chapter not only with lizzie but also with the bingleys and everybody else well i think for the bingleys like his relationship with caroline has always been kind of like she's being the worst and he's being like above her But now it seems like there's even a greater distancing between them because she's saying something that he wouldn't even ever dream of speaking about Lizzie that way now. So that's one thing is that he's just on a whole new plane there. Two, seeing him with Bingley again is like, now I can kind of see where this friendship comes from. Yeah, it's very sweet. New Darcy TM has always kind of been underneath old Darcy TM. You know, like you don't just become a good person. You had to have some good in you before, right? Yeah, he's never been a bad person. He's been flawed and he's working on his flaws. Yeah, and you can tell that Bingley was probably drawn to the good in him. Yeah, which also means Bingley's a a better judge of character than we gave him credit for. Yeah. It's not his fault he's related to Caroline and Louisa. They fucking suck. They do suck, but he has to deal with them. The next question is about Lizzie and her feelings. We touched on this and I said it was going to come in the study questions. What is Lizzie feeling? Is she in love with him yet? I don't think she's in love with him yet, but I think that she is falling in love with him. And... I think we're still in that like excitement stage of like this person gives me butterflies and I don't understand it. There was like six moments in this chapter where Lizzie was like, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, (laughs) which is so relatable. This extreme repulsion from this person has started to be like kind of a pull. Like, wait, I like what's happening here. Wait, I want to talk to you some more. And she doesn't know why she gets butterflies whenever he walks in a room. But yeah, I think there is a shift here from relief that he doesn't hate her. Mm-hmm. Which like, I just, Lizzie, 
he really fucked up that proposal. It's okay that you rejected him. I just have to say that. I think feminists for the last couple centuries have been like, thank God. Should we do an episode on essays about this? I mean, we actually could. Could be a thing. Could be a thing. Listeners, drop us a DM or an email if that would interest you. If we did like an academic episode on feminists and Pride and Prejudice, let us know. So then the next question I have is about Jane Austen herself and her framing of Darcy. This is just going along with the butterflies we were talking about. Is Lizzie still being an unreliable narrator or is this actually what's happening? Oh, God, that's a really good question. Because like at first we realized she was an unreliable narrator and we got to see everything kind of like as it is. She went back over her thoughts and she was like, all right, these are the facts. And I've been putting this kind of haze over everything now. Now she's got butterflies, so it's kind of hard to tell. But I think this is a little bit closer to the truth of what's happening. However, we are seeing Darcy as very positive. And for the like umpteenth time this episode, I will say it doesn't erase the fact that he sucked. He really did. And I think that the unreliable narrator comes in because like, we are getting all of these like fluttery feelings around Darcy and we're seeing like all of the good things that he's doing and how nice he's being and we're really emphasizing that the narrator is emphasizing that and I think it's meant to make us forget a little bit of what he did or see what he did in a good light nothing could make that good like he wasn't correct in saying any of the things that he said to her in his proposal still yep totally agree he was still a dick I think this is an important point for listeners and just fans of Jane Austen to hear. Darcy was a dick at the beginning of this book, and I think the story is Lizzie learning to be more open-minded and Darcy learning to be a bit more aware of those around him. The next question I have is about that little monologue you read me. This is the last question before we get to my standbys. So we have the timelessness of what it feels like to fall in love, and Again, Jane Austen being brilliant and writing it down. And you read me a passage of it. It's the part where she's lying in her bed trying to figure out what she's thinking about Darcy. And I wondered if we could talk about just how that relates to falling in love today. I think that this is kind of like the moment that after she's rejected his proposal and she goes home and cries and how that moment is so visceral and so timeless and so the same no matter what where we are in life this moment of like lying in bed and thinking about everything that's happened and not understanding what it is that you're feeling but knowing that it's not an unpleasant feeling is so recognizable specifically this gratitude towards that person gratitude that he doesn't hate her yeah and then also this part where it says that it's by no means unpleasing though it could not exactly be defined, her feelings. So like there were a few moments in these chapters, actually. I think I did touch on this briefly where Lizzie is like, I don't know why I'm thinking this or I don't know why I'm feeling this or like when he walks in the room and she has butterflies and she's actually it never even says she has butterflies. It just says as soon as he walks in the room, she's she understands because of her reaction that she wished he would be there. And then she regrets that he's there because she's blushing and she's like, ah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's so universal. It really is. And it's so weird that it just hasn't shifted. We're all very human and there's nothing more human than a reaction to a crush. Because not everyone feels crushes, but many human beings feel crushes. And 
somehow, weirdly, we all feel them the same way. That's why this book is timeless. Yeah, it's something about the shifting of having one feeling towards someone. And again, the theme of this episode is that I'm reading a lot of romance novels to get me through this time. Um, Because when we're recording, it's the time of deep quarantine. This feeling of it shifting from an extreme feeling of either hatred or lust or something to it being a little bit closer to love. What does that shift exactly feel like? And I think that Jane Austen is really touching on what exact moment that is. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, that brings us to our standbys, funniest quote. So this is very much in the theme of what we were just talking about, about the not knowing why she's feeling what she's feeling. And I did read this out loud, but I'll read it again. This is when Lizzie is waiting for Darcy to arrive at the the gathering of the women. She expected every moment that some of the gentlemen would enter the room. She wished, she feared that the master of the house might be among them. And whether she wished or feared it most, she could scarcely determine. She's such a mood in these chapters. Really? Questions moving forward? Oh boy. So they have plans to come to dinner the next night. I'm interested in what's going to happen there. I want to see baby Darcy, Georgiana, our girl, like come into her own a little bit. And I I don't know how that's going to happen. And then will we see Wickham again? Because he's been a topic of conversation, but he hasn't been here for a while. So I want to know if we're going to see him again. Great. And who wins the chapters? I feel like I want to give it to Darcy every time. Oh, my God. You know what? Do I want to give it to Darcy or do I want him to give it to Bingley just for making a great comeback? Eh, We could give it to Charles this time. Darcy's had a lot of wins recently. Should we give it to Georgie just for being great because we just met her? Let's give it to Baby D. Baby D, this one's for you. We love you. We love you. We want to protect you. We protect. We attack. Wickham is no longer a snack. Exactly. All right, guys, that's all we have for you today. We hope that you and yours are safe and that this podcast is hopefully bringing you even like a little twinge of light. I will say that like one good thing that's come out of all of this is that everyone seems to be really bent on connecting with each other more than we usually do. And I hope that that has continued for all of you. Yes, continue to connect as much as you can. I think it's really important. Reach out and you can reach out to us. We're always happy to hear from you at any of our social medias. Yeah, all at Pod and Prejudice. Yes, we have all of that lockdown name-wise, podandprejudice.com, Instagram at Pod and Prejudice, Twitter at Pod and Prejudice, the Pod and Prejudice Facebook page. All are open. Pod and Prejudice at gmail.com, Pod and Prejudice at patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> And until then, stay proper. Find yourself a quarantine buddy. I'm sorry. Find yourself a husband or a wife or a life partner. Yes, do that. We love you. Love you. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.